When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. What's going on, Wild Black? This is Vince. Coming at you with something special this week. We're not, we're not dropping our normal Wild Black episode. I had the pleasure of interviewing on the Mother's Quest podcast last week. And it was a great conversation. It was one that, especially with what we're going through right now, with allyship becoming such a hot topic, with the protests going on, um, I wanted to share it with you. And I also wanted to just share a little bit more. You know me as Vince. That's my middle name, actually. Um, I'm reintroducing myself now with my first name. So it's good to meet you. My first name is Darius. And you'll hear that used on this podcast episode that we're about to share with you. So as you listen, make sure you give thought to how you can speak to the allies in your life. I don't know about you, but I want my children to live in a world where they are not judged by the color of their skin, where they are seen as equal, and where people don't fear them just because they're black. And sometimes we need some partnership to get there. So listen up. Tune into this episode. It's from the Mother's Quest podcast. All right, everybody. Listen up. Peace. Hi, and welcome to Mother's Quest a podcast for moms like me ready to live our own truly epic life. I'm Julie Neal, a life and leadership coach, community builder, writer, and mom to two high-energy boys who challenge me to grow into my best self. Mom! I'll be right there. Where was I? I'm honored to share this special Father's Day episode with a devoted father, successful entrepreneur, and fellow podcaster who has become a friend, Darius. Known as Vince on the acclaimed Wild Black podcast, Darius channels his rage at the injustices Black people experience in our country by focusing it on empowering, educating, and inspiring African Americans to go and grow. Wild Black tells stories by, from, and for African-Americans and pairs those stories with expert, incredible guests who can communicate wisdom and success strategies to help the Black listeners achieve, accomplish, and overcome. Wild Black is truly exceptional in the conversations it creates that centers the life, culture, and perspectives of Black people in the United States. In this interview, Darius had me riveted, inspired, and often in tears as we explored his epic life quest, his transformative moments as a father, how his work through Wild Black is meeting this moment and movement in our country, and the unique role that mothers, fathers, and our younger generation all have to play in making change. Before I close, I want to share a statement of shared commitment from an effort called Podcasters for Justice that aligns with so much of the messages Darius and I explore here together. We are podcasters united to condemn the tragic murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and many, many others at the hands of police. This is a continuation of the systemic racism pervasive in our country since its inception. And we are committed to standing against racism in all its forms. We believe that to be silent is to be complicit. We believe that Black lives matter. We believe that Black lives are more important than property. 
we believe that we have a responsibility to use our platforms to speak out against this injustice whenever and wherever we are witness to it. In creating digital media, we have built audiences that return week after week to hear our voices, and we will use our voices to speak against anti-Blackness and police brutality. I invite you to join me in donating to one of the efforts that Podcasters for Justice identified, which you can find in the show notes, to listen to and amplify this episode with Darius and to follow each of Darius's powerful calls to action, stepping into kinetic partnership that will move us forward and help us all get free together. I'm Julie Neal, and this is Mother's Quest. Darius, welcome to the Mother's Quest podcast. I've always wanted to be in conversation with you, so I'm feeling just honored and excited for today. Now, the honor is mine. I'm excited. We connected in a virtual world, and it's a connection that has obviously lasted. We've talked many times. We've helped each other along the way. This is what a relationship should do. And I am so, so grateful to be here talking to you today. I like to frame how I connect with and find my guests. And so I want to give a little shout out to Podcast Movement because I think it was within that Facebook group one day that I shared a link to my conversation with Sabrina Fulton. And you saw it and reached out immediately to me. And that was really the beginning of, as you said, an ongoing set of conversations and connections that we have had since then. I want to start with the first question I ask every guest. Tell me a little bit about your own mother and the impact that she had in shaping who you are today. Oh, man. (laughs) My mother has been the single most important person in shaping who I am. I did a dedication for an earlier episode of Mother's Question, which I talked about my father. And the significant role that he has played, and this is not downplaying, this is not making his impact on me any less significant because it's very, but there's something about a boy and his mother, right? There's just something about that relationship that teaches him not necessarily how to be a man, but understanding that learning how to treat a woman and how to think about the world around you is so, so important. And my mother has played a role in my life in so many different capacities my entire life. I mean, even to this moment now, I didn't talk to her today, but I talked to her yesterday. I talked to her multiple times a week. She is a sounding board. She has an ability to listen to what I'm saying when I don't know the words to communicate what it is that I'm saying. And she has a way of using her own words to put comfort into me. And it's unintentional, right? It's just such a natural relationship that she has the ability to make me feel like everything's going to be okay even if she doesn't use those words. Something about her tone and her laughter and the comfortability that that I feel when I talk to her, when I interact with her. My mom is responsible, literally responsible for everything that I've been able to do. What I was noticing I'm curious about as you shared this incredible connection is what does your mother think about the work that you're doing now and the way that you are impacting so many people through Wild Black? It's two-sided, right? (laughs) Because a mother wants to protect her son. So on the positive side, she recognizes that there's change that needs to happen and that there are people who create and push out the words that help that change to become a reality. And she's proud of me for stepping into a role where I claim ownership over the need to voice my opinion, to voice what I feel is right, and to interject that into the world. The problem there is, though, the world is not always ready to receive the information that I have to share with it. If it was, there would be no need for Wild Black. We would not be protesting the way we are now and things would be perfect. Racism and systematic racism would not be a thing of this country, but they very much are. With that understanding that there is always going to be a resistance toward what I'm trying to do, she has moments where she's scared, right? There are moments where we have conversations about my real name versus the name I use on the podcast. There are moments where we have conversations about the number of cameras in and outside of my house. We talk about how I interact with the police when I'm pulled over, how I manage the frustrations that I have inside me as they grow, 
the rage that I think is in all of us, especially the black community, there is a rage inside of each one of us that we have to learn to manage just to move through our day unaffected and unharmed. As supportive of me as she is, I know that there is this innate fear that a mother has for the safety of her child. And I am her oldest child. So she thinks about me and she wants me to be safe, but she also wants me to be loud, purposeful, and full of intent. We don't know when those listening are going to encounter this conversation, but we're talking weeks after George Floyd was murdered by a police officer and protests all across the country. And it does feel like a different level of awareness. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. My heart just broke. (laughs) I think somebody did a transcript of George Floyd's words, the things that he was saying as he was literally having the air taken from him. And he called for his mom. As somebody who is holding space for and wanting to empower mothers, I know that mothers do have an incredible role to play in raising our children and creating space for conversations about race and about justice and for taking action ourselves. So I'm just so appreciating what you're saying about the way that your mother has championed you and just holding. I don't know. I notice even as I'm talking to you, my heart is starting to race. Just this sense that I have that I hope that this conversation and your work is going to summon more mothers, spark more mothers to say yes to being part of this change. I agree. I have that hope too. It's funny. I had a conversation with my wife on the last week sometime. We were talking about an organization that she's affiliated with and it's an organization of black mothers. You have to be African-American and you have to be a mother. And I was telling her that I could not think of a group that had more of a right to be in this space, to be talking about the change that's needed, to be fighting, marching, screaming for this change that's needed than a group of black mothers. And then secondarily, where I led to was, you can almost drop black because this is about mothers, right? Every person out there who has been murdered by the police, justly or unjustly, every person marching, every person asking for equity, equal rights, every person who is voting, every one of those people came from a mother. Every single one of those people has a mother someplace who thinks about them, prays for them, worries about them, and ultimately wants this world to be a better place so that their son or their daughter can survive and thrive. It can become everything that that mother saw in them from the day they were born, right? All their potential be realized. And so there's no one who should have a bigger voice in what's happening than a mother, than the person who carries that child inside of them and creates, like literally gives them life. Like this is absolutely a mother's role. No one should be louder. No one should be more passionate about what's happening out there. No one should be pushing for equal rights more. And more importantly, no one should be standing in a mother's way. No one should be telling her to sit down. No one should be telling her to be quiet. No one should be telling her something as stupid as be barefoot pregnant in the kitchen. Like, how dare we, right? How dare we look at any woman or any mother in that manner? How dare we not give them every bit of space that they need to be active and breathing life into this movement and this moment. 
we should be out of the way. But I'll stop. I have a tendency to go on a little bit. I'm sorry. No, every word you said, all of that. And I don't know if you heard this episode, but I had the opportunity to interview Sarah Mercuria, who is one of the co-founders of Mothers Against Police Brutality. And in that episode, Colette Flanagan, who lost her son, Clinton Allen, to police violence, did the dedication. And she said these words in the dedication that have stayed with me. And it's been on the sign that I've held at every protest I've gone to. An insult to one mother is an insult to all mothers. And I think what happens is what needs to happen is we have to imagine, we have to imagine what it would feel like if we were fearing for the safety and literal life of our children in the way that so many Black mothers and your Black mother have to feel. And there is this common connection among us because we understand the love that we have for our children that I think is going to be change-making. So thank you. We struggle to speak the same language at times with difference in cultures and way we feel, energy, tone. When it comes to a mother's love, I think that's a universal language that every mother understands. There's an innate feeling that you have. Let me back up. There's an innate feeling that I would believe you have after giving birth to another human being. It's too deep, right? It's too complex to add a word to. It's a language that's only understood between a mother and a child. And I think every mother out there recognizes that feeling. That's the feeling we have to tap into when we look at every George Floyd, every Tamir Rice, every Philando Castile, every Eric Garner, every Mike Brown. Like I could literally just keep naming all these names, but every time we lose another brother or sister to police brutality or violence or murder, the reality there is there's a bond that's broken between a mother who carried that child for some period and brought life into this world. That bond is broken forever. That is a common bond that mothers share. There's no way we should be on opposite sides here. Every mother should be screaming for this justice. They should see their own child's face on every black body that lays dead on the ground. You should see your own son, your own daughter, regardless of race, color, creed, ethnicity. You should see who you birthed. And just imagine how we would feel. That's actually what started my speaking out more and trying to learn more about my own, the racism that I know happens within myself just by virtue of living in this culture in America. It was a friend of mine, Genji Heiston, who after, I think it may have been after the death of Philando Castile, just did this Facebook Live with tears down her face, asking her white friends to just imagine for a moment what it would feel like to literally fear for the safety of your loved ones every day when they walk out the door. And it was that human connection from someone who that I loved and cared for that made me just like literally have to stop and say, I cannot be silent. I cannot allow myself to feel bad for a moment and then scroll on by or continue with my day and not start to do some of this work and figure out how I can be a part of change. I want to shift gears a little bit from talking about mothers because this is actually a Father's Day special. And I really want to create space for you to reflect on what it's like to be a father and a Black man in this country. I want to ask you about living an epic life. Mother's Quest is based on this idea of stepping into being the author of our story and living the life that's filled with the things that matter most to us, where we go after those things, even when we might feel afraid or there are challenges. And EPIC also is an acronym mnemonic for the guideposts that I think help us to live that life when we're raising our children. So I first want to ask you what you feel like your EPIC life has been about, what you've been on a quest for. And then I'm going to dig into each of these guideposts and learn about some of the wisdom that you have found as you've been on this journey. When I think about the epic quest that I've been on, it's a very obvious answer for me. And it's such a complex thing that I think we're seeing a lot of conversation about actually right now. Even with what we're going through right now, it's helped me to find my way to a better spot. And I recognize I haven't told you what that is yet. So I'll do that. For me, it's about being who I am all the way. You hear people use the terminology, bringing your full self or your whole self to work or to school. 
as a black man in America, and to be specific, I'm a six foot four, 300 pound, dark skinned black man. So as far as black men go, I'm the big scary monster, right? That's what I see in so many people's eyes when they look at me. And I've spent the vast majority of my life from I'd say age 15 to I'm now 44, trying to figure out how to stand tall and shine while I shrink, right? Because there have been so many moments where I look at someone or I have to interact with someone and I see fear on their face before I hear my name on their lips, right? Their first reaction to me is fear. And when you live in that space throughout school, college, jobs, when you hear people say to you that so-and-so is uncomfortable in your presence and you know the only thing you did was walk and breathe, it creates this fight inside of you that tells you in order to be successful, in order to be accepted, in order to do all these things that the American dream is supposed to be comprised of, I can't be me. So I have to find some lighter version of me in order to thrive. And when you do that for so long in there, you begin to lose who you are authentically, right? You spend so much time acting the role that people around you need you to be in order for you to thrive to a degree. You forget how to be authentically who you are. And that's when you look up at work and you're taking a personality test and you recognize that the person this test tells you you are is so far from who you really are that you often can't connect the two anymore. I'm sorry, this is going so long. But what I've seen happen in the world right now has created an opportunity for me to get so much closer than I've ever been to bringing my entire self to work. Because now people are asking me to be me. They're asking me to help them figure out how to accept someone who is like me. I gave a presentation at work earlier this week, and it was about Black Lives Matter. I got a chance to be at work during company time and give a presentation and say things that I would have only said in my off time to a specific group of people. And I did that for the first time in my career, my 20 plus year career. Just this week, I got an opportunity to feel so much more comfortable saying Black Lives Matter at work. That is a very, very, very new feeling to many of us. We have spent our entire lives being boldly black in quiet spaces versus being black as we can possibly be every place we go. The only thing that has been black about us everywhere we go is our skin color because too many of us have to curtail our existence, have to decrease the light that we emit just to be able to exist in a space where we don't blind the people around us so much that they fear us. So for me, going back to being epic is being able to embrace who I actually am day in, day out, all day long. I'm not there yet, but I'm closer today than I was last week. I was closer last week than I was two years ago. Sorry for the length on that. You do not need to apologize at any point in this interview. Everything that you're saying is so powerful and needs to be heard. So I just want to say in this space on the Mother's Quest podcast and with me, you don't need to dim anything and you take up as much space as you need. I want to ask you about the first guidepost, E. It stands for engaged mindfully with our children. Tell me a little bit about fatherhood for you. And what are some of the biggest things that you have been trying to impart to them as you're raising them? Much like I just got done talking about, about what it's like to be Black and be a Black man in this country. I am a father to two amazing Black children. I have a daughter who's 11 and a son who's 14. Their birthdays are actually just in a few days, so they'll be 15 and 12. What I try to, or how I try to mindfully engage with my children is by ensuring that they understand something that I don't think I quite understand yet, right? I'm trying to engage them in a very intentional manner and create a fearlessness in my children that I don't even have, right? I want them to be comfortable and confident walking out of the front door, being uniquely who they are in a world that doesn't always accept them. And I want them to be fearless in this. So the question I ask myself all the time is, how do I raise fearless children when I'm a fearful parent? Because as much as I love to believe that I am fearless, the reality is if I were truly fearless, I wouldn't have some of the struggles being my authentic self everywhere I go that I have, right? That so many of us have. When a policeman gets behind me in a car, I wouldn't have to calm myself down and focus on survival. 
So how do I teach them to be strong, upright, positive, black citizens of this country and be completely expectant for their tomorrow when I'm so scared of their tomorrow? I'm worried that their tomorrow won't exist. I'm worried that they won't exist in my tomorrow. I'm worried about the interactions they have with people all day long, but yet I am still trying to to raise children who are fearless. What would you say you're learning about how to do that? What is one thing that you've been discovering or exploring in your fatherhood that you think is helping that to be possible? I'm learning that the generation in which my children come from is a bit more bold than the generation that I come from. I'm learning that the things that I fear, they don't. And part of that is because they're young and they haven't lived the full life yet. But part of that is because their environment treats them a little bit differently. Part of it is they have expectations that I was told I had to fight for. And this is not a knock. Again, I love my parents to death. And I think all of our parents did the best that they can. But I do think that one mistake parents can make is instilling their fears in their children. And I try my best to not do that. Although I'm sure they can pick up on some of my fears. I'm not going to stand up and push my fears into my children the way you push a a Thanksgiving turkey into the oven, right? They're going to have their own fears. They don't need mine on top of that. I'm going to try to live a life as best I can that makes them feel comfortable being fearless. And that's what I try to push. And hopefully I have more success than I have failure. Another thing I like to ask sometimes is to reflect on what I call an epic snapshot moment. So like one of those moments where time almost stops and you feel like you want to bottle it up and you're like, this, this is the thing that I have been striving for. And as you were talking about what you're trying to create with your kids and what you've been learning, I found myself curious about, do you have a moment or something that's happened with any of your children recently where you're like, yes, that, that's what I'm trying to build for you? I've got a couple of them. I'll tell you one that made me proud. It let me know that my son specifically had been listening to me. And it let me know that even more than that, he was trying to figure out a way to make it better. So long story short, I live north of Atlanta. I live in a suburb by the name of Roswell. And Roswell is primarily white. And my children go to a primarily white school. We live in a primarily white neighborhood. Their friend base is primarily white. And my son was coming from out of town at a school competition with several friends, and it was 10.30 at night. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. He was the only black child there. There were three other mothers and maybe eight or nine children. And he called me and he said, Hey, Dad, when we get back to Roswell, the other kids and the mothers that were with said they want us to go and stop and we're going to play in the park. And he said he wanted to call me because as much as he wanted to do this, and these are his words, paraphrase, as much as he wanted to be able to do that, he did not feel it was the right thing to do as a young six foot two, at the time he was 14 still, young six foot two, 14 year old black man playing in a park at night, roughly 11 o'clock. And I told him, He was right. I would not be comfortable with that. I apologized to him that that was a fact of his life. And what he told me was, I completely understand. I didn't feel comfortable with it. But what I want to make sure I do is figure out a way that so in the future, the next child who wants to stop and be 14 year old and play in a park at 11 p.m. under parental supervision, black, white or other, can do that freely. In that moment, it let me know that He got why he couldn't do it because the world just isn't safe for people who look like him all the time. But he was intent on creating an atmosphere and a place that one day it would be. So it told me he recognized that he shouldn't be there. He accepted the feeling he had inside that told him he wished he could. And he made a commitment to make sure that the next child would be able to. And to me, that told me so many different things. One, that my words were getting through to him. Two, I had not instilled fear in him, but I had instilled a desire to make things better for the people around it. And that was a moment where I stopped and I actually patted myself on the back and I hugged him because I was proud of both of us in that moment. So this is one of those moments where I do not think you can be a mother and hear this story and not feel conviction that we all have to be a part of this change because he should not have to have that level of analysis. 
and self-discipline and he should be able to be a kid and yeah with yeah his right well i want to move to the next guy post because i think it is going to build from exactly what you're just sharing about p stands for passionate and purposeful and this is about the impact that we make beyond our family so tell me more about the ways in which you are making an impact now are being part of the change that you and your son see needs to happen. And then I'd love to hear about how we can support you and champion you in that work. Absolutely. It's a layer process for me. And I say this unashamedly, I'm smart, right? I am smart from my experience in the world. I'm smart from my interactions with people. I'm smart from my education, undergraduate, graduate. I'm smart from the experiences that I've been able to get in corporate America. I've worked for some of the biggest, strongest, most innovative companies out there. I've started companies on my own. I'm smart. And I know people sometimes say that and they get people roll their eyes at them. But again, I don't apologize. Right? I'm proud of my intellect. But even in that, you know, I want people to understand that what I am much more than smart is I am a student for the rest of my life. The smartest thing that I've ever thought or said is that I know there's more for me to learn. And I know I can learn from every single person that I come in contact with. So I learn. I learn often. I learn consistently. And I learn hard. Like I invest myself in learning. And my intention behind soaking up as much information as I can is being able to then disseminate that information to other people who also need it. Right. Because you cannot teach if you cannot learn. And my God given purpose on this planet is to teach people and make situations better. Sometimes teaching is when I'm on the microphone on the Wild Black podcast. Sometimes teaching is what I've done a lot this week, which is sat down with my white counterparts at work and we've had very real conversations about this world, showing them something different than what they've seen or experienced before being able to help them look at the situation and see new elements that they completely missed before. And I know that people have a problem or developing a problem with the word privilege, but I embrace that, right? Every single one of us has privilege, right? I have privilege, you have privilege. Privilege is a real word and is a real thing. And it's only powerful when we accept it, right? I accept that I have privilege. And I also recognize that there are times when I have to put that privilege aside so that I can do more good. There are times when I have to take a ding or negative impact to my privilege in order that the greater privilege or the greater opportunity becomes realized. As I teach, regardless of the situation, I'm constantly looking for direct feedback from those that I'm engaging with. I'm looking for something that tells me that they got it because when they get it, then they also become teachers, right? And so if we all operate in the space of student in the morning, student at night, and teacher in the middle, and we create this world that is significantly better than where it was just yesterday. Every single person you come in contact with, you have the opportunity to both teach and be taught by. Specifically on Wild Black, what I do is I give thought to the topics that I think people who look like me need more expertise and understanding in. Every episode that I create has to pass a criteria. And that is, it has to achieve one of the following three things. If it doesn't meet at least one of the following three things, it's not a topic that I will talk about. One, the person or the topic has to create awareness in the Black community that's limited or where none exists. Number two, it has to correct misperception in the Black community that's commonly accepted. Number three, it has to create inspiration to help those in the Black community go, grow, and succeed. The second thing that every episode of Wild Black has to do is it has to create a safe space for people out of the Black culture to come and listen to get answers to the questions that they're too afraid to ask out loud otherwise. Because without comfort in what's happening in, around, and with people that you are not familiar with, then you can't get the information you need to step outside of ignorance. And if you can't step outside of ignorance, and you can't contribute to making this problem go away. You cannot contribute to making this place better for each of us. And you can't make yourself better. I found that when I present my information on Wild Black in a way that although it might not always be easy to hear, but it is based in truth, it is based in fact, it is delivered from someone who is highly credible, that it gives my listening audience the ability to hear, challenge, and learn and become better. 
I so appreciate what you have created with Wild Black. And I have listened to episodes. The podcast is not created for someone like me. I don't feel that. It feels so clear to me that you are speaking to the Black community unapologetically, right? Like it's so needed and you create space for those conversations. And at the same time, I also feel like there is an invitation that there's access for someone like me to come and to be a listener and to learn. It's just really unique what you are doing and what you're creating. And I know you're seeing tremendous success. And I'm so thrilled for you and for everybody that's going to benefit from that. I appreciate that wholeheartedly. Thank you. Before we move to the next guidepost, is there one little thing you can tell us about some exciting opportunities on the horizon for you? Wild Black, we haven't decided to go with a network yet. We've grown significantly in the short to almost two years that we've been around. In that time frame, we have been reached out to by many networks. If I had to break it down to what I think is the most exciting thing that's potentially on the horizon, is this time right now. And you have to understand that for me, Wild Black was never anything that I was doing to generate a dollar. I'm fine, right? I have a great job. My wife has a great job. I've turned down advertisers. And what I'm seeing happening now in the world today with all this open dialogue about race has created this opportunity for Wild Black to reach so many more people than it was reaching six weeks ago. Understand, right? Six weeks ago, we were reaching thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people every single month. But I have watched that skyrocket. And normally, when a show like Wild Black skyrockets, along with that skyrocket comes a negative feedback. If you go look at Apple Podcasts and you read our reviews, you will see anytime we've been promoted because all of a sudden you'll see an influx of negative comments. But what I'm seeing this time is so unique. The exposure to the podcast is growing exponentially. The number of listeners is almost unbelievable. The amount of mentions, follows, comments, likes on our social media is up so much. I can't count it and I can't keep up with it. But what's not up is the negative comments. What's not up are the negative reviews. What I see a ton of are people reaching out saying, hey, I love what you're doing. Can I share it? I see people reaching out, asking me questions, right? And I'm one of those people who tell you, I'm sorry, yes, there is such thing as a stupid question as far as I'm concerned. But we get so few of those. Every now and then I get something crazy that says, hey, when black people get wet, does it feel the same on your skin? That's a real question I got. To me, that kind of falls in the realm of stupid questions. There are not a lot of them, but there are some. But what makes me so excited is, although I know that the current environment can't last, and that's not a knock or negative, that's just the way human behaves, right? We cannot stay on this topic forever, but hopefully when the media attention and coverage dies, when the news cycle switches, when people stop marching as much as they're doing today, hopefully the new normal we go back to is so much further than where we are today, it feels better. And I'm hopeful for that. So when I think about what's on the horizon for Wild Black, I get excited for our new listeners. I get excited for this new place where the best way to put this is I will be most excited for Wild Black when Wild Black is no longer needed. I think that is the way to encapsulate it all. When the purpose and the intention that Wild Black serves is no longer needed in this country, that is what I'm excited about. And we're headed in that direction, although I think we are far, 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 far from getting there. We're closer today than we were yesterday. That sense of hopefulness that I hear in your voice and your conviction, that matters so much. Because I think there's so much to be in despair about right now. So everything you shared about feeling a real sea change in terms of people's interest and openness to learn and support for what you're putting out there, that is a really positive sign. The next guidepost I stands for invested in yourself. And this is about like our own self-care and our own commitment to learning. What I really want to hear from you if you're open to sharing is how we might invest in and support both your work, but also this movement. And I feel like it's really important to kind of raise this issue of like white saviorism that like you're doing great. (laughs) 
you don't need my quote help. And at the same time, I think people are asking ourselves, like, what's our part in this? What's our role? And not from a place of guilt or saviorism, but from responsibility and commitment. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, the first thing I'll do is I'll talk about the concept of help, right? I think that help often comes with a negative connotation, almost like you need a superhero to swoop in and save the day because you're unable to do so, right? And that doesn't feel like a place that any of us want to stand, the need to go and have help. What I want is partnership because partnership has a different connotation. Partnership says there are two or more people who are both competent in the areas that they are experts in, right? It means we have something that we can contribute. I don't need you to come help me do something. I need you to partner with me so we can accomplish a goal. So I'm looking for partners. Now, as far as what people who are new to this, white allies, what can they do? And when I think about that, I think in terms of a couple of things. The first one is pace yourself, right? Because this is not a sprint, right? It is not something that is going to be solved in a week. And if you're worn out, if you are beaten down, then your ability to create positive impact is negated. So be smart and be mindful of where you put your energy. And and inside of that point, I warn people that if this is your first exposure to this, right, if George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor was your first exposure, the first time you noticed what was happening, what I want you to do first is nothing. I don't want you to run out and start screaming for justice. I don't want you to run out with the misunderstanding that this is the only context in which Black people are asking for equality because it is far, far deeper than just this. Black people are frustrated because of the murder of Black people. We are frustrated because of how we have been ignored. We are frustrated because of the lack of justice. We're frustrated because the Bill of Rights doesn't necessarily seem to speak to us. We're frustrated because of systematic racism inside the country that's deep-rooted. So what I tell people, if this is your first exposure, go get educated. Deepen your understanding. Expand your context of the situation so that you are better prepared to push back. Right now, there are tons of opportunities to learn. The benefit that someone who is new to this has it has been such a major part of Black culture for so long. It's oozing out of our culture. It's oozing out of our entertainment. You can listen to our music, our books, our TV, our film, and you will see this story told six ways to Sunday. Go to Netflix. They've got a whole section on Black film. Watch American Son. Watch 13th. Watch When They See Us. Take a moment and digest what's really happening because if this is your first exposure, I promise you, you are limited in what you see, feel, and think. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Until you're sitting on your couch on a random Tuesday and you are crying and you can't figure out why you don't understand. So go get educated. The next thing I tell people is remember all of these organizations that are on the front lines, that are organizing protests, that are pushing against lawmakers that are putting pressure on our organizations. Every one of them needs support. It could be in the form of donations. It could be in-kind support if you build websites, if you do marketing, if you are a supply chain expert. No matter what it is that you do, I guarantee you they need it. Support them. It could be something as simple as bringing breakfast to them when they're getting ready to leave to go to a march. It could be giving them gas cards to cover the cost of the gas. It could be Visa gift cards. It could be restaurant gift cards. Support them. And I tell people this. One of the most important things you can do, I won't say from day one, but from day three, as you've gone and you've gotten some type of context, is become an advocate. Become a voice. Engage on your social media platforms. You have the ability by the definition and the way that the algorithms for these platforms work to reach people that I'll never be able to touch. You have their respect. You have the ability to influence thought because we are talking about issues that 
show themselves inside of our governmental systems. They show themselves inside of our organizational places. They show themselves inside of our corporations. But at the end of the day, these are societal issues that are based in human behavior and bias. You can directly impact human behavior and bias in people that I can't even touch. Every post you put up on Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest or Snapchat uses an algorithm to deliver your message to the ears of people who think, move, behave, and like the same things that you do. If you interject this message that some of them may have never heard, at the very least, you could potentially spark an argument, a conversation. You can pass energy, information from you to them in a way that I can't because one, they fear me when they see me. Two, they don't respect me enough to believe me. And three, they want to run. So use that power, use that influence. Here's a positive place. Use that privilege to tell a powerful story about why my life matters as much as yours. And I think that's where people start. So I often say that in every podcast episode, there is a part of the conversation where I know I'm going to go back and listen to it again and again. And I'm just making a note. (laughs) This is like a masterclass. I feel like everything you just said, and I'm going to do my part to make sure that many people hear it. Thank you. We are getting close to the end of our time together. So Uh, the last (laughs) guidepost, we may have to just get the golden nugget for you on C, which is connected to a strong support network. And actually, I feel like we've already started talking about that. What are the ways that you have found community and partnership as you've been on your quest? That's an easy question. It kind of ties into everything I've said. I never stop learning. I'm always open, much like how you and I met. I am always open, always looking for people that I can add to my network who can help and add value to me and who will allow me to help and add value to them. I'm looking for people that I can partner with on the many goals that I have. Those people don't come defined by a certain color, height, weight, education status. There is value to every single person that you run into, whether they know it or not. Right? Every person is valuable. They have to believe that first, but you can see it even when they don't necessarily believe it. I open myself up to a point that I can see the humanity in people and they can see and feel it in me. It doesn't mean that it's a 100% fail-safe way to do it and there's always risk involved, but I care much more about tomorrow than I do in someone getting a little bit more information who doesn't have my best interest at heart because I will continue to find the people who want to partner with me to change this world for the better. And I can be very honest, I am selfish when it comes to trying to make tomorrow better because my reason is I want my 14 and my 11-year-old children to be in a world again where they can be fearless, they can be safe, they can be successful, they can find their way to be who it is that I know that they were intended to be before they knew it. I want a world that is built for them and brings every potential inside of them to a reality. I want their lives to be kinetic. Right? And for, for our science folks, potential kinetic or opposites, I want their world to be kinetic. I want the energy they put in this world to be infectious. I want people to see who and how powerful my children should be, even more so. I want that for every family, every child, every mother that can hear my voice, that can breathe the same air that I breathe because that is how we find our way to a better society where there is equality, where there are people who want the best for everyone around. I'm selfish in that. I want that for my children so much that I'm willing to get it for yours along the way. Partner with me, connect with me. We can find the ideals that we share and we can build our way to those together. We don't have to do this apart. When we are together, We make so much noise that the world listens. And this is an example, right? People in Paris are marching by the thousands. People all across the world have heard what we're saying right here. They are with us making the same noise. We, in fact, can change this entire world. You just have to believe it and you have to find your team to go and do it. And the only way to find them is to be open and receive and be willing to give as much as you get. Ooh, one of my teachers. The last few years is a woman named Desiree Attaway. Do you follow her yet? 
on Facebook. I don't, I'm not familiar with her. I want to connect you. She does diversity and inclusion work and not alone with amazing people, Erica Hines and Jessica Fish. But one of the things that she stresses all the time is that we all get free together. Amen. Yeah. And that white people are also not free because it is not good to oppress. Correct. We are all part of this white supremacist culture. And it's damaging for all of us. And we all get free together. Absolutely. So this is the part of the conversation where you get to give me and anybody listening who wants to say yes, a specific challenge. (laughs) I've talked high level a lot today, except for the section where I gave like those direct things. So the challenge that I want to give is at least twofold. Let's see by the time I get to number two, if I found number three. The first thing I want you to do is try your best to recognize when your unconscious bias fires. And I say that very intentional. Try your best to recognize when your unconscious bias fires because you can't stop it. It's unconscious, but you can notice it when it pops up. When you see a black man or a black woman or a black child, there is bias inside of you. We all have it. When you recognize that your initial intent is to stop and go the other direction, stop for a moment and ask yourself why. Evaluate the person that you're looking at, right? Be intentional. It's uncomfortable, but we have to be uncomfortable to find our way to a new place. You don't move until you're uncomfortable. Look at that person. Try your best to see their heart. Understand that what you're seeing and reacting to is bias that has been built inside of you over time that doesn't have to be there. That person more than likely has no ill will toward you. And all they're trying to do is get from point A to point B. You're not even in their way. I challenge you to look them in the eye and say hello. Just take a moment. Acknowledge the humanity inside of them and give the humanity inside of you room to expand. Just say hello and watch how they respond to you. Nine times out of 10, you are going to get the hello back that's just as warm. And that's a small step, a very small step in overcoming your unconscious bias because it's more than likely built on limited experience. Number two, I challenge you to meet someone new. I challenge you to take a step past just the hello. I challenge you that when you're on your lunch break, when you're walking in the park, when you're in the gym for exercise, stop and have a conversation with someone whom you normally walk right by. You be the driving force in the conversation. You tell them, you know what? I've seen you in here 12 times. I've never stopped to say hi. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I do this. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Now, if they're in the middle of a set, you might want to not do it then, right? But all jokes aside, get to know someone new. The very third thing, be intentional in what you digest. I mentioned American Son earlier on Netflix. I tell everyone listening, if you haven't watched it, shame on you. Because American Son does an amazing job of framing up two opposing viewpoints that we see echo all across society right now. The premise is a black woman who was married to a white man. They created a biracial son. This biracial son is missing. And you hear two sides of these arguments go back and forth until the mystery is solved. It is a powerful, powerful, powerful dialogue-driven hour and a half. The entire thing takes place inside the waiting room of a police station and it never changes. It just lets you know how dialogue-driven this is. And it is a powerful movie to watch because there are things that no matter how you feel, no matter what you think, they will affect you. It's an easier watch than something like when they see us at 13th. Start there and then keep going. Those are my challenges. Okay, challenge 100% accepted. In our family, we've been watching 13th. Actually, our whole extended family is committed to watching it and discussing it. And I'm going to add American Sun as the next one. So thank you and committed to continuing to pay attention to moments of unconscious bias and then going out of my way to be in conversation with somebody I wouldn't and to really see the humanity in them. Please. Really powerful. Thank you. Thank you. The last thing that we do before I have to say goodbye, but I know it won't be goodbye, goodbye. Right. We'll find a way. (laughs) 
is a chance for us both to acknowledge anything that we're leaving this conversation with more clarity or inspiration. I'll start. There's so much. You know, we started with a conversation about your mother. So I think I am renewed in my belief that mothers are critical part of this. And therefore, I have an important role to play. And so, you know, want to continue to be part of bringing this awareness, the importance of anti-racism work, this conversation with you in particular to as many mothers as I can. I am really moved by your description about what a lifelong learner you are. And I identify with that so much too. And the importance of being in this continuous cycle of learning, teaching, learning. I'm seeing it now in this really circular way, in a way I haven't before that I so appreciate. I am really paying attention to how to, even for myself, step more fully into who I really am, not feel like I have to play small or diminish in any way. That was such a powerful thing that you described. And the last thing I'll say is that it's not a comfortable thing for me to speak out. And there have been a few times where I've spoken in public comment related to police violence. And I'm like, literally my entire body is shaking while I'm doing it. One time I brought a stone with me with the name Josiah on it. And Josiah is the name of a boy, Lori Valdez's son, who lost his father to police violence on the San Jose State campus. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Shot and killed. And Lori talks all the time about children like Josiah who are like in the shadows, who've lost a parent and what that means. And so when I feel nervous, <laughs> I think about Josiah. And I think that the story that you told today about your son, while thankfully not a tragic story, the fact that he had to stop himself from going with his friends and playing in a park, that is a story that I'm going to have in my bones anytime I'm afraid to open and speak. So I want to thank you for sharing that with me. What are you leaving with from this conversation today? I think, you know, by now I'm long-winded, so I'll try not to be too long-winded here. But when you care the way that I do, and when you're forced time and time again to watch people who look just like you murdered, but then on top of that, justice is so infrequently served, you're forced to look at the systems in place in the country you live and recognize that they're not built for you. And your first reaction, your initial reaction is, wow, these systems are broken. And then you find yourself in this place where you realize, no, they're not. They're not broken. They're working just like they were intended because when they were created, I wasn't considered a person. I was considered property. And so your hope in the system's destroyed. And then you turn to society and you look at them and you say, no worries. They got me. They see the same things I see. And even if they don't, I'll magnify them. So you share every murder. You share every injustice, then you share them again, and no one else is sharing them. And so you look at society and you say, do you not hear me? Do you not see me? Am I not screaming loud enough? What will it take for you to share my fear and my rage? And so you turn your volume up. Your social media posts get louder. They get more passionate. And you tell yourself, they'll hear me now. You tell yourself that because you wrote this eloquent post and you embedded inside of it your most real feelings, you tell yourself that because tears strolled down your face as you wrote it, that everyone who reads it will feel your pain and they'll say, damn it, Darius, we care enough with you. We're going to scream right along with you. And then nothing happens. Your post gets one or two likes, but the meme you shared 30 minutes earlier got 600. And you begin to lose hope in humanity. You begin to think that not only are the systems designed to keep you disadvantaged, but that society reinforces that because they don't care enough to scream your name. 
And then you have to go to work the next day and you have to perform because your boss says, if you want this raise, if you want this promotion, I need this work from you. So you have to put all of that pain and all of that frustration someplace deep inside of you. You have to put it in a place that you can't even access it because if you have access to it, it will impact your daily performance in a way that won't allow you to find the limited success that you've been able to acquire this far. So you bury it deeper. And then you find your tribe and your neighborhood and your friends and you all scream together, fully recognizing that the only thing that's happening is you're creating an echo inside of an enclosed chamber and no one outside hears or cares. And it happens again and again and again and again and again for years. The number of hashtags are too many to count. You feel horrible inside because you can no longer remember every name of every black man or woman murdered. You fumble when you try to because once upon a time you knew the first 20, the first 200, but now they're happening once or twice a week. The news doesn't cover them all. You can't cover them all. You have to take breaks where you can't even read or digest that energy because you can't handle it. But then you feel bad because you can't handle it. And the world's still quiet. And your hope is still gone. And it's so far gone that you don't believe it will come back. And that lets you be angry. And when you're angry, you want to hurt. When you're angry, you want to destroy. When you're angry, you want that rage to come out. But you realize the moment you do that, you become the monster that they say you are anyway. So you're stuck. And now you're sad. And now your rage is inside and you can't let it out. Your fear is there, but you can't speak on it. And you still have to go to work and go to church and walk through the grocery store aisles. You still have to be human. You still have to be black. You still have to be controlled because you cannot be who it is that they say you are already. Even though that's what's being created in you every moment, every second that you can't release. And then one more murder happens, and it's George Floyd. And for whatever reason, the world starts to wake up. All of a sudden, people who you know ignored your tweets before, people you know walked the other way in the hall because they didn't want to have a conversation with you, are knocking on your door and they're asking you, what can they do to help? And what you want to scream is everything and nothing because I'm so confused and I'm so angry at you. But how dare I not say yes to your help today? I need it. I need your partnership. And slowly, moment by moment, you learn to deal with those feelings more. The complexity behind allowing someone to partner with you who ignored you just the day before. The feeling that you can't say no because you need to say yes because people who look just like you are depending on you to let that person help, to let that person partner because you can't do it without them. And even with all that, now your hope begins to come back just a little bit. Every protest, yes, even every riot, Every building that you saw on fire, your hope grew because maybe humanity the entire time was there and just failed to react. But right now, in this moment, you have their attention. In this moment, your life matters. In this moment, they are screaming your name. So you let that hope slide in. You let it flow through your body. You feel what that warmth feels like and you haven't felt it in so long. Now, when you scream, you can barely hear yourself because everyone else is screaming around you. And you are happy with that. I'm not content because it's not over. And then you realize that there's one final fear. That final fear is, what if this is a trend? What if this is popular? What if people aren't doing it because they care, but they're doing it because the people around them are doing it? What happens in six months when the protests stop, when the marches stop, when organizations are no longer having Black Lives conversations every day? What does that new normal look like? And can you handle inside of you the disappointment that comes when you realize the rest of the world has turned around again? That feeling is what I want people to think about. That level of disappointment when all of your heart's desires, when all of your words, when all of your energy goes to creating a world that sees you as human and you realize that now that you are on the path, you recognize it might not be there tomorrow because this could be a trend. This could be a popularity contest. There'll be a new shiny item in six weeks. And I ask every one of your listeners to not subject me nor anyone who looks like me to that. I don't know if we can take that again. 
You're finally listening. You're finally speaking. Please don't stop. I just want to give a few seconds to take that all in and encourage anyone else who's listening to take that in. Darius, thank you for the father you are in the world, the smart, amazing human being that you are, for your open heart, for calling us all to be in our humanity for everything that you shared today. I know I will be listening to you again and again. You have my commitment to continue to be in partnership. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for coming along with me on this episode of the Mother's Quest podcast. I hope this conversation sparked something that will help you live your epic life. If you'd like to get show notes and learn more about how to join the Mother's Quest community, visit mothersquest.com. And while you're there, I would love it if you would follow the prompts to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and help us to spread the word. I want to end with some words to help light the way on your quest. Seize the day. Love your people. Honor your gifts. Until next time. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.